Welcome to the panel discussion, A Secure Multi-Cloud Approach in Government, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Doug Hassa, the Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Defense Intelligence Agency, Greg Smithberger, the Director of Capabilities and Chief Information Officer at the National Security Agency, and David Peed, the Vice President and General Manager for Equinix Government Solutions. Gentlemen, welcome to the discussion. Before we get started, let me set some context for our conversation today. The growth and acceptance of artificial intelligence and machine learning over the past few years across the government has been fascinating to watch. The Professional Services Council Foundation estimates contract obligations for AI-related investments grew by almost 75% to nearly $700 million between fiscal 2016 and 2018, and they expect it to grow further in 2019, reaching almost a billion dollars. And that growth just, is, just isn't inside the Defense Department. Nearly every agency is discovering the potential benefits of applying advanced anal analytics and intelligence automation tools to their mission areas. The challenge for many agencies is how to prepare their infrastructures for these tools and how to add governance across their data. For many agencies, infrastructure modernization will happen at the same time and likely be in the form of a hybrid cloud setup. This adds another layer of complexity because data and applications will have to work across multiple clouds, both on and off-premise. While hybrid cloud makes the most sense for many agencies, it also gives CIOs plenty to think about, including how best to balance performance and cost across the multiple cloud services, and of course, how best to secure data and applications. So how can agencies create that secure and flexible infrastructure to use AI, machine learning tools? Well, once again, that's where our panelists are gonna come in. Doug Casa is the Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Defense Intelligence Agency. Greg Smithberger is the Director of Capabilities and Chief Information Officer at the National Security Agency. And David Peed is the Vice President and General Manager of Equinix Government Solutions. Greg, let me start with you on cloud. NSA has been a leader in, in cloud services in many ways. You guys are, are part of the intelligence community and the EyeSight effort. I'm not sure you're calling it EyeSight anymore, but it's, it's the big effort, the, the big shared services effort. Let's talk about how you, you, the NSA's approach to cloud services. Okay, so uh, the National Security Agency's been on a cloud journey, actually multiple cloud journeys for about 15 years. When we first uh, started down this road, there were no commercial cloud services available to the intelligence community in the classified world. So we built in-house cloud services, uh, a large scale utility compute uh, complex, and also a very large scale uh, mission, uh, data fusion, uh, data discovery um, environment uh, that we have been migrating all of our missions to over the last 15 years. And I'm happy to say that we have not only migrated all of the NSA uh, core missions uh, into that integrated mission fusion environment, NSA is also making that available as a shared service to the intelligence community. Uh, and we refer to that as the IC GovCloud. So NSA is using a combination of government-owned and operated systems, uh, commercial cloud services at the classified level, at the unclassified level, and uh, we're experimenting with uh, some new models. Hardware as a service, in addition to more uh, full-service uh, commercial cloud services uh, as we move forward. So we have very much of a mixed economy uh, and happy to talk about all of that. Uh, big data analytics, um, Artificial intelligence, machine learning are kind of at the heart of everything we do in our mission uh, cloud environment, but we're also using uh, those capabilities uh, for uh, cybersecurity, looking at both internal and external threats, as well as helping us with uh, service delivery. So happy to talk about all those issues. All right, there's a lot to unpack there. I love the term mixed economy. I may steal that, by the way, if that's Fine. okay. I'll give you credit, don't worry. But uh, let me just ask you, uh, before we get there, the IC Gov Cloud, mm -hmm. let's, let's, if you can put a definition, because you said it's a mix of internal and external, uh, that is part of the, that shared service that you're offering. And what you guys have done is basically worked with some of the commercial providers to say, hey, if you can have a classified cloud, we can, we can use part of it, but you also have your own internal one. Correct. So. Uh, the IC Gov Cloud is a very large-scale data. It's a mission environment. It's uh, so I usually refer to commercial cloud services like what Amazon is providing to the intelligence community through uh, the C2S uh, contract as a set of Lego blocks, right? Uh, there you can essentially build anything you want out of them, but they don't inherently do any specific mission function. The IC Gov Cloud is very different. It's a big, large-scale mission environment that uh, does very specific things at great scale and uh, great speed using a lot of automation. And, and those things that it enables are data discovery, data fusion, um, 
real-time uh, analysis and reporting, uh, the machines accelerating what the humans can do, and the machines making the humans more efficient, and where possible, even creating uh, totally automated uh, outcomes that are consistent with the laws and policies that we have to operate in. Okay. Let me move over to Doug from the DIA. You guys are also part of the intelligence community and, and of course, DOD. Uh, give me a sense of, of how you guys are looking at your cloud strategy. Yeah, well, it's certainly been a, a partnership across the IC and the DOD for how we approach this. And it's been a learning experience over time. And like every technology, our understanding and use of it has evolved over time as well. Um, we think about it as a tool in our toolkit, so to speak, right? So we match up in a more traditional engineering sense the capabilities to the functions we're trying to perform. And cloud services is another tool that can help us execute a number of our functions. But when we think about it in terms of a framework, we really break it down into three areas. One is mission drivers of what's the location where the data and the services, the application, uh, where are those around the world? We support more than a million users around the world and hundreds and hundreds of sites. So location and the mission drivers really plays a factor in what we choose to do, whether it's on-premise or we go to a commercial cloud services or something like what NSA has with GovCloud. Right? So all of that factors in. The second, and Greg mentioned this, is the technical feasibility. Right? So um, there are some cases to where technically it makes sense, but we have to make our own investments in that on that side as we choose to move to cloud services. We need to develop that technical bench strength as well to understand how to operate it. And then third is the cost feasibility, which is um, just because we can doesn't necessarily mean we should, right? We have to balance the performance with the costs, the underlying costs that come along with it. So those are really the three elements of the framework uh, that we use when we decide whether or not we're going to run our own or we'll outsource that to cloud services. It's interesting that how the development over the years has has change in terms of what cloud is. You know, first, initially I think cost was the big one, right? That was the driver back in 2011, yep. 2012. And then now mission and technical feasibility are starting to play a bigger role. How do you balance those three needs? I mean, it's easy to, to always look at mission first, but if putting something in the cloud is going to cost Right. <laughs> More than it's it's worth keeping in house. What, what do you have a scoring system? Uh, or a what? lot of it comes down to the data dependencies. You know, traditionally, it's been very costly to move data across clouds. Now that's changing, right? The pendulum swinging on that. And we're making advancements, um, but it, 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 that was a big driver for us in the beginning of how we chose uh, what avenue to take. A lot of our business systems we've moved into the cloud. Um, a lot of our mission systems that we operate, because they're all around the world, because they have different security requirements. Um, those we still run, uh, many of those ourselves, um, just because the economies of scale isn't there yet. Uh, a lot of the cloud services that we have offered today are here within the United States, most of that on the East Coast. We support sites, as I mentioned, all over the world. All right. so that, that's one of our biggest drivers. I think that's a, that's a really important piece is, ca can you get to the edge? We, right. We'll get by the edge. At, at the edge in a little bit. Uh, let me bring David into the discussion from Equinix. As you guys talk to your government customers, as you work with your government customers, some of the trends you guys are hearing about the, the, the move to the cloud. Yeah, I mean, I think what you know, we've seen over the last 20, 25 years, um, there was the movement into the data center, outsourcing data centers, and then the consolidation of data centers. And then I think you've seen the same transition in cloud. So some of the early movers in the data center adoption, I think was just a rush to say, hey, we've outsourced X amount of servers into commercial data centers. Similarly in the cloud, um, not implying it was uh, just a rush, but I think there was a, a push to say how much you could pu actually push into the cloud. I think now agencies are stepping back and looking at the workloads on a workload by workload basis and how they're functioning. Uh, you know, from us, every customer um, has some level of security concerns. You know, Equinix platform for us, um, you know, not only on the classified, unclassified side, which we have capabilities on, on both classified and unclassified um, data centers, but also from the um, physical security side, which all of our data centers in the continent of the United States are FISMA high. So, you know, we're seeing uh, a fast movement, lots of concern about security, whether it's physical or network security, and then also that the agent, uh, agencies seem to be um, being very uh, cautious about what they're moving into the cloud and why. Um, and, and I think making good decisions uh, on, on, on why, why which uh, applications move. You bring up the security topic, and we're going to get there in a second, but before we do that, the multi-cloud, the hybrid approach, is that's still obviously the, the, 
the, the du jour of the day, right? The soup of the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's going to continue to be. I think whether on the commercial side, the, the interconnection uh, and the access to data is critical. And I think agencies look to be, you know, many of them we're seeing are re-architecting how they're connecting. Um, and as Doug had said, I think for us, you know, having 208 data centers globally, um, being able to store and, and, and compute data um, closer to where the source is, is is really critical, and then also the security aspect of it. So yeah, we're we're, we're seeing we're, we're seeing that, and and a lot of, of focus on um, the location of the data and where the process is processing is happening. Greg, let me ask you about the hybrid cloud and multi cloud. The the intelligence community start off with never a single cloud, though maybe you got a little bit of a reputation to say, well, you have this one C2S cloud. But you've, it was always, you've always had that multi-cloud, the hybrid cloud approach, correct? And, correct? and why is that important to the intelligence community beyond the obvious factors of, of, of the security side and the, the sensitivity of data? So, uh, as I said before, um, you know, C2S, uh, the Amazon cloud offering uh, to the intelligence community at the top secret, the secret at the unclassified level, is providing something that looks very similar to Amazon Web Services in the uh, on the internet, right? So it's a, a basket of capabilities, uh, 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 virtual uh, capabilities and software services that we can use to assemble a variety of things. Uh, the community, as uh, Doug was saying, has been experimenting with how can we leverage uh, that given the way it's been instantiated and, and uh, given the cost structure that we have. So we've always been playing with that. Uh, all of the agencies in the intelligence community have always had a large number of on-premise uh, capabilities, that government-owned capabilities. You know, we're experimenting with what we can move back and forth. And then, uh, as I said, the IC GovCloud is really a, sort of a different beast entirely. It's a, it's a data fusion environment, uh, a big mission system. So uh, from our point of view, there was never uh, the possibility of exclusively using one of those. So in addition to providing the IC GovCloud to the intelligence community, we're aggressively using C2S services uh, to do complementary things, you know, business systems, training systems, uh, things that wrap around that core of the IC GovCloud. Uh, and all of us are looking at that sort of cost benefit trade-off. And there's some fairly complex uh, considerations, particularly for systems that have very complex interactions that are very data intensive, where the compute is really matters. Uh, where the data is stored really matters. Uh, the pricing structures really matter if you're doing very data intensive uh, sorts of activities. Uh, per transaction fees just don't really make a lot of sense. So there are a lot of considerations that are going into this, but uh, even internally, we've always had a bit of a, a mixed economy. We, it's not a single set of system, it's a, a variety of uh, different types of systems that are optimized for different purposes. And I think going forward, that's really what we're all looking at is, you know, what, what are we trying to do and what's the best tool for that job. And um, as we look at the potential for multiple uh, you know, commercial cloud services moving forward, because the intelligence community is uh, now looking at a follow-on to C2S and CIA has the lead uh, for that procurement activity, uh, there's the possibility of uh, awards to multiple cloud vendors. Again, it's going to be the same thing. What are we trying to do? What's the best tool for the job? You know, uh, is it a commercial service? Is it something on-premise? Uh, is it a shared government-controlled service? We're looking at all those. One of the things about the multi-cloud, and maybe David, you can jump in on this as well, is there's a balancing act that, that every agency, that every organization has to achieve. And, and I think, as, as Greg was saying, what, what's the right tool? Is that conversation coming up as you talk to government cu customers? Do they talk about, uh, the way Greg put it so, I think, eloquently, what are we trying to do? What's what's the trade-off that we're looking at? Is, is that part of the discussion these days? Yeah, I think it's a big part of the discussion, and I think um, without being an electrical engineering understanding, um, <laughs> um, probably as deep as a conversation as some others can go, we're seeing that there, the IT infrastructure, the classic telecom infrastructure, and the cloud infrastructure are somewhat merging, where the agencies are growingly, uh, increasingly concerned or interested in uh, looking at both architectures, and I'm not saying they're collapsing, but we're definitely definitely seeing where the conversation is and the dialogue is about where their classic IT infrastructure is and resides and where their cloud infrastructure resides and how they can maximize uh, the potential for both those architectures is, is a big part of the driver. And I think that the, the point you're making here about 
telecom and cloud infrastructure merging, it's so much is voice over IP, so much is now in, in the cloud anyways. Uh, I, I could see how that becomes, the discussions are, are growing. Uh, Greg, jump in. Yeah. So, totally agree with that point. And in fact, uh, some of the key considerations in terms of what makes sense to put in which of these services have to do with exactly how our networks are laid down. Uh, what latency is involved, right? If you're talking about a time-sensitive uh, processing stream or systems that have very complex interactions, at some point the speed of light actually matters, <laughs> right? Because uh, the distance means drag. And if you talk about multiple round trips, uh, that really can add up to something significant if you're trying to do something that is really, really time sensitive, right? So I totally agree the, uh, the network laid down, the telecommunications laid down, uh, really does matter. And in, in the case of the intelligence community for classified services, we don't have uh, the entire internet available. We have the, the classified uh, you know, uh, telecommunications infrastructure the U.S. government has put in place that's protected by high-grade cryptography, high-grade encryption systems uh, that uh, uh, has its own unique uh, features in terms of what bandwidth is available to what locations, et cetera. So that's a lot of what we're working our way through. Yeah, and I'll just add to what Greg said. You know, at, at that network layer, we've had to do a lot of work in the community to establish architectures where our systems can actually talk to one another, right? So there's a lot of groundwork, foundational work that we had to do to set the stage uh, for our transition to cloud services, and also to, to determine what we're going to maintain ourselves. All right, let's take a quick break. We can continue our conversation. We can jump into that security topic as well. You're listening to the panel, A Secure Multi-Cloud Approach in Government, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions on Federal News Network. If there were a checklist for a perfect network solution, what would that list look like? Well, it should be secure and reliable, right? With an easy-to-access global cloud, yes, where users can access data and open apps in real time without compromising experience. Simply, the ideal solution would be secure, global in scale, and interconnected, right? Well, you'll be pleased to know that ideal solution exists, and that ideal solution provider is Equinix. Equinix is the leading strategic data center platform for government solutions, hosting the largest network of facilities, clouds, and service providers. Equinix is a partner in the mission, helping users distribute applications, access data, and see analytics in real time. No lag, no drop-off in experience, all thanks to the interconnected network cloud solution from Equinix. Grow, save, and improve efficiency with Equinix. It's time. Get started at equinix.com government. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, a secure multi-cloud approach in government sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Doug Casa, the Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Defense Intelligence Agency, Greg Smithberger, the Director of Capabilities and Chief Information Officer at the National Security Agency, and David Peed, the Vice President and General Manager of Equinix Government Solutions. Before break, we were talking about the multi-cloud and hybrid cloud approach that we're seeing. Uh, let me turn to Doug to lead us off and there's a challenge when you get into this hybrid environment of applications and data and how to ensure that everyone, the right people, have the right access at the right times. <laughs> and as you said, you guys have more than a million kind of customer users and, and they're around the world. So how do you find that right balance when you're in this hybrid cloud approach to ensuring that data and applications are, are working well and, and, and people yep. have access to the right place at the right time. Yeah, and so we, we've certainly seen our role in security change over time to where once we had owned all IT, now we're kind of a broker of sorts, right? To where we're consulting on what's best to transition, but also from the security perspective as well. And starting with that comes with understanding what we're even managing. And that's what I mean by broker, right? We're not only helping transition, but we're under, helping to understand what's out there right now. And as we've, we've increased our transition to cloud services, whether it's multi or hybrid, um, we've had an increased need for security. And that comes uh, with the new functions of continuous monitoring and auditing, which have really ramped up. Um, and we're really doing that in three areas. And the, uh, the first and foremost is identities management, right? So access controls, making sure the people that need to see the data have the access rights to see and manipulate and share that data. Uh, the second, of course, is encryption, which helps us create the security boundaries. Uh, and then the third, which is multi-factor uh, authentication for uh, how you get access to even the systems itself, let alone the data. Um, we've really ramped up in all three areas. And that's been a partnership with our vendors as well as we're transitioning 
applications into the cloud, we are uh, relying on them to help with some of those customer configurations for the applications, which many differ uh, as we transition those. Do you have any concern or challenges around, okay, if you have the data on one on-premise, right. but someone needs it, and the best way to get to them is through maybe a cloud service, but it's a limited amount of time, or it's just, well, we have this operation, and, and while they really need this database or this access to this, this type of application, is there a way to, to, to move in between the two clouds? The security side, uh, put that off to the side just for a half a second, but are you, are you guys able to do that, or is that still a big we challenge? We are, and there have been pros and cons to that, right? So the pros is that we, we can do it very quickly when we need to, uh, the con is, is that a lot of our users don't understand their dependencies on the clouds that we have offered, right? So they don't, they don't actually see how those investments have, have paid off. Um, I mean, that's really a pro in the end, because uh, it all should be seamless to the user, and that's our main goal in all of this. And part of that is understanding what you have. Right. So um, imagine you have some sort of, you've done some sort of assessment or some sort of inventory, for lack of a better word. <laughs> yep, and, so, and that changes every day. Sure. And as our inventory changes, or as the configurations change, security plays back into it that we have to have continuous monitoring of. Not just the users, it's also the applications. Greg, weigh in too. How, how is NSA kind of dealing with that same balance? So in addition to all the things that Doug talked about, um, this problem of controlling need to know while still taking advantage of big data analytics and AI and machine learning was at the heart of the design of the ICGov cloud from the beginning. So uh, if you look at most of the uh, commercial offerings that involve big data lakes, and uh, big data analytics running on top of them, the underlying assumption is that everyone who has access to the lake is allowed to see all the data in the lake, <laughs> right? Uh, it's you know, credit card transactions from all your customers, something along those lines. Uh, in, in the intelligence world, that's just not the case. We have lots of different data from different sources and people only have a need to know certain parts of that. So uh, at the very core of the GovCloud is a system that um, tags all the data uh, where there's a very elaborate system for determining what the humans are authorized to see. And uh, the machines can crawl all over the data, but they only serve up to the humans precisely what they're authorized to see and no more. So a key part of the data movement issue is what is it that the people really need to answer the questions that they're trying to answer or to, uh, to inform the judgments they're trying to make? Uh, in many cases, they really don't want to see all the raw data. It's overwhelming and they can't process it fast enough. What they need are the key insights, or the subset of the data that's most relevant for the problem they're trying to work on. And uh, moving that across the network uh, at great speed is a lot easier than trying to move a mountain of data. Right? I, would say, I would add to what Greg is saying, I absolutely agree, and I would say that's our biggest opportunity with our commercial providers, is helping with that data-centric uh, security strategy. I think uh, what you both are describing is the, that move to zero trust. And, we're, I know the NSA, I've talked to uh, some of your colleagues at NSA over the years, and you guys are definitely out in front. And I know you guys are working with DISA also on the zero trust piece. But is that, is that the underlying really goal in many ways? Is, is the roles, responsibilities, attribute, attribute control, that, that's, that's, whether it's cloud or not cloud, right. that's your end goal? Attribute-based access control down to the, ver the individual data element level. Yeah. Where... Yeah, essentially, uh, zero trust before zero trust was cool. <laughs> <laughs> it is cool now, so welcome to, you know, now, now you guys are on the bandwagon. Uh, David, jump in. Yeah, no, I think that, um, you know, at, there are sayings at Equinix is there's more happens at Equinix than is done by Equinix in a sense. We're the platform that, you know, these are, many of these architectures are built, and I think, you know, my 30-some years and being on this side of the table um, from the government's, uh, being a government contractor, seeing that uh, you know, a lot of times in my mind, uh, you know, network security and cybersecurity are extremely important. Uh, people lose sight of the physical security and the actual, the human element of what security means. And you know, a lot of times it's a bad actor who is um, running out of a, a bad mission is, is the biggest uh, sense of vulnerability. And the other thing I think really important is, you know, the, it comes from the top down. Our CEO, Charles Myers, is 120% behind the government business. Uh, he's met with several of our customers, and I think you know what I've learned in the last 25 or 30 years is folks like Doug and Greg, they want to sit across the table from the, from the commercial providers and feel a level of trust and honesty, and, and I think we bring that to the table. Talk a little bit about that a little bit more in the, in the, in the sense of security 
is a shared responsibility. It's, it's never just the government. It's never just the industry partner. How, talk how that kind of evolution has happened over the last you know, 10, 12 years. Yeah, and I think it's, it's just whether it's on uh, network security, on um, building networks, on uh, any way. I think when, when you truly get in a government partnership where you're collaborating on um, you know, what, what's happening in, in the market, many times when the executives come in from Equinix to visit customers, they want me to say, okay, well, how do you want, how do you want to script this to talk to the government? I'm like, no. Talk to the government from your view of the world uh, and that you see that's what's going on globally because many times in the government sector we get stuck in our bubble and what they, I think the customers and the agencies really want is an open dialogue about what's happening across the globe. And I think that, you know, to, to the collaboration is the key element of, 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 I think, anything, whether it's security or whatever you're trying to accomplish with the government. If you can get that collaborative approach where you're both learning lessons um, it's a win-win. Do you get a sense of how much of the security responsibility is on the vendor side versus on the government side? I mean, much is maybe not the right word, but but how, how do you ensure that collaboration? Like, what, what's a conversation like when you talk to your government customers? Are they asking you, okay, what are your security? Did you meet FISMA high? How many of the controls do you have? Or is the conversation, here's what we think we can do, here's what you can do, how do we bring it all together? Yeah, it's, it's very collaborative, and I, you know, whether it was 50-50, you know, 60-40, certainly I think the government probably plays a stronger role into defining you know, where they want to go to and where they want to be. Um, but us as a provider, I think we hold a lot of the responsibility uh, for the pieces that we control, and I think that's what their, you know, their expectations are of us. Greg, jump in. So it's always a, a government-industry partnership but there's sort of a sliding scale. If we're talking about government applications that are at the unclassified level, there's a heavier reliance upon the vendor. As we move toward the secret and the top secret world, there's a much heavier uh, government role, particularly in providing the, the, uh, the outer boundary of security, making sure that our classified networks stay separate from the outside world. Uh, and. Uh, Clearly, the consequences of a breach, the consequences of even an insider problem, are much greater at a, at a top secret level than an unclassified level. So there are additional layers of uh, insider threat uh, monitoring and uh, even some areas where the government uh, entities will choose to do uh, things over and above uh, what the contractors are doing or even overseeing the, uh, the uh, for example, uh, overseeing uh, the cloud service provider in a classified context to make sure that they're doing exactly what is expected and no more, and that the government data continues to be protected in the way we expect. So the answers are really different. It's sort of a sliding scale from unclassified to top secret. There's one thing that when I talk to cloud providers, they seem to say, you know, well, our security is, is probably better than the government's. And, and let's just take it at the unclassified level for a second. Do you find that you are, from NSA or even DIA's perspective, are you relying on the vendors to provide a certain level of security at the unclassified level more and more? Or again, is it still, whether it's 50-50 or 40-60 or 60-40, it's, it's still, the, the burden is still heavy on both sides? So I can say certainly for NSA, it's our responsibility to ensure that our data is protected. <laughs> uh, and uh, there are specific outcomes that we're looking for uh, with regard to protection against insider and external threats that we enforce even at the unclassified level. Now, uh, we'll more aggressively leverage the native capabilities that the uh, industry partners are providing at the unclassified level uh, as long as we can achieve our outcomes and we can verify independently that we're achieving our outcomes, we're more comfortable with that. It, at the higher levels of classification, we'll wrap more government-specific things around that. Yeah, good. I would, I would, yeah, agree with Greg on that. And there, there are a couple other aspects to this that, that we have to consider, particularly intelligence agencies. Um, our operations do demand some additional security considerations that we don't get from industry uh, necessarily, like operating in a completely disconnected environment, right, where we're transitioning between one network and another. Um, another being uh, having our equipment being able to survive a nuclear blast, for example, right? So right. We, we actually have requirements that define capabilities that we uniquely have to offer. Uh, but the other side of this is also on the user perspective. Um, you know, I mentioned in the beginning, we support you know, millions of users around the world, as does as Greg and other IC elements. Um, and, and there's a, a user security aspect to this to where 
um, you get the policies, the, the governance, uh, the legal authorities of that data, right? So there's a sharing aspect where just because it's shared doesn't mean, you know, if you're a law enforcement element, you can use it in a certain way versus an IC element. So that plays into it as well. I think the, the short answer, though, is we want to capitalize on all the best ideas that industry has, and we want to bring other ideas to bear. That's uh, one of the things that makes uh, NSA unique is, um, you know, uh, we are a foreign intelligence agency that specializes in, uh, in uh, not only protecting uh, communications and networks, but also in extracting intelligence from communications and networks. So we have a lot of unique expertise in terms of what the vulnerabilities are and how to get in the practically get in the way of people who are trying to exploit networks. And we bring that to the conversation with our industry partners to try to find the, the best combination of solutions. They push us, we push them, but we want everything they can bring to bear as well as uh, the other things we feel compelled to bring. And NSA has always been known, at least uh, over the last maybe 20, 25 years, maybe even a little longer, as, as taking some of that industry best practices, helping industry get better, and then sharing that out. I mean, for the old joke of you guys didn't exist, you guys have done a pretty good job of existing uh, <laughs> in certain markets, right? Um, David, let me ask you, when it comes to this idea of multi-cloud or hybrid cloud approach, does the security become more difficult? Does that change the, 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 your, your perspective of security in any way? Not really. I mean, I think, you know, from our perspective, um, you know, having everything in a centralized um, location. So if you're taking one of our data centers, um, as long as you're protecting that location and whatever level of classification is, is warranted by the government, then I think, um, you know, no. So that I, I don't think that the hibernate, in fact, I think it maybe has a potential to control the environment a little more because you do have things that are consolidated and, you know, you're connecting into uh, only the folks who want you interconnected with them. Um, and as long as we can partner with the government on how we control that of environment from a physical perspective, and, you know, again, we don't do a lot on the network perspective from, you know, c controlling the information or their information at all. Um, you know, we, we provide security for the infrastructure that we provide. Um, I, I don't think it I, I really, to me, I think it actually, having things in one location probably helps control the environment more. Uh, and as long as that area that, the, that you're protecting is, is controlled, I think it's, it's better off. And, and we've seen that across the government in this move to consolidate data centers. It's, it's the old idea of... of the, the less footprint, and, and you don't have to worry about trying the, to, to secure 100 different places. You can really focus on 20 or 5 or however many the, the number is. So I, th I think that's been an industry best practice for the last few years. Though then people always will tell you, well, but then you have the, the bad actors have less places to attack. So <laughs> Yeah, and I think <laughs> it's always that, that balance. But to that point, and I think, you know, also with the, the bombing, everything in today's world seems to be interconnected. I mean, not many agencies are, I think, uh, taking a singular approach as to where they store their data and control their data. And so, so much is replicated and, and interconnected that, um, you know, that just adds a level of complexity. But I think it takes away some of the concerns from, you know, a catastrophic event where, um, you know, in most instances, I think a lot of the data that they're responsible, you know, that they're responsible for, um, is, is replicated and, and accessible from other other locations. I want to go back to one thing that Doug said early on in, in this segment about uh, the kind of the, the continuous monitoring, the auditing side, and then you looked at access controls, encryption, multi-factor authentication. The access control piece, Doug, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that because I, th I think when it comes to the cloud. That's the missing piece. Can an agency or can a, a company provide you with that cross functionality between, okay, on-premise it's one thing, in the cloud it's one thing, but what about when it's, when it's the hybrid? Yeah, and it, and it really points back to consistency across multiple layers, right? So to enable to enforce that, we need consistency within our own agency and a consistency across agency. And I would say one factor that's really led to our success and our migration to cloud, with, especially within the intelligence community, has been this consistency across the agencies of working together. Where in the old days, we went off and did our own things. Now we're actually looking at, at this as a consolidated strategy. And when I say consistency, it's really across the development environments where we develop our applications and deploy them to the cloud. It's the accreditation standards that we can share and now have reciprocity across. It's the consistency in the tools um, that we're using. 
So a number of factors play into it, but instead of doing it as just one agency now, we're really sharing that across the community. It's amazing that just a little bit of standards can help. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a quick break and come back. We can talk more about AI, machine learning, and some of the benefits of moving to this hybrid or multi-cloud approach. You're listening to the panel discussion, A Secure Multi-Cloud Approach in Government, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions on Federal News Network. If there were a checklist for a perfect network solution, what would that list look like? Well, it should be secure and reliable, right? With an easy-to-access global cloud, yes, where users can access data and open apps in real time without compromising experience. Simply, the ideal solution would be secure, global in scale, and interconnected, right? Well, you'll be pleased to know that ideal solution exists, and that ideal solution provider is Equinix. Equinix is the leading strategic data center platform for government solutions, hosting the largest network of facilities, clouds, and service providers. Equinix is a partner in the mission, helping users distribute applications, access data, and see analytics in real time. No lag, no drop-off in experience, all thanks to the interconnected network cloud solution from Equinix. Grow, Save and improve efficiency with Equinix. It's time. Get started at equinix.com slash government. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, a secure multi-cloud approach in government, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Doug Casa, the Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Defense Intelligence Agency, Greg Smithberger, the Director of Capabilities and Chief Information Officer at the National Security Agency, and David Peed, the Vice President and General Manager of Equinix Government Solutions. Now, before break, we were talking about the hybrid cloud, security around it. And, and I want to start with Greg, because one of the comments you made earlier in, in our discussion is the cloud is a tool. It, it's a way to get to where you want to be. And, and when the NSA and the IC developed their GovCloud initially, it was not, hey, we have a cloud, yay. It was, oh, what can we do with it? And what you have been and continue to do with it is really apply these emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning analytics. So give me a sense of how this all comes together and how you guys are starting to use the AI and, and ML capabilities. So the original concept behind the, the IC Gov Cloud was that we wanted to break down the individual stovepipes of data within NSA. We had different repositories for different types of data. And uh, our humans were spending too much of their time retrieving data from individual repositories and then trying to glue it together. So the idea was, can we bring all uh, most of the data, if not all the data together, and allow the machines to kind of crawl over all the data and serve up to the humans uh, what they're authorized to see? And can we make the humans more effective and efficient in getting to the parts of that data that are most relevant to answer the questions that we're being asked to answer? So uh, from the very beginning, uh, Pieces of this uh, environment were, uh, were developed that were optimized for running big data analytics uh, uh, across very diverse sets of data at large scale and uh, automating the things that the humans did routinely. So there was a lot of automation and there are uh, both uh, sort of routine tasks that run in the background as well as human uh, driven uh, sort of queries uh, that take place. And that's where, sort of where we started the journey And then as we looked at uh, how do we take the next step and how do we in particular deal with the diversity of languages that NSA has to deal with in this uh, large volume of data, we really started leveraging machine learning and AI to help us to interact with uh, uh, information in a variety of different languages as if it were English text. Uh, That was where we sort of started the conversation. We sort of blossomed out from there. And then uh, also looking for uh, in addition to sort of signature-based ways of identifying things of interest, uh, how do we do more behavioral things, uh, more heuristic things? So uh, a lot of the machine learning and AI have come, uh, come to bear there. But a lot of this is taking the drudgery off the humans. So if there's something the humans are going to do all day, every day, let's just pre-compute the answer and have it sitting there for them. Uh, or if there are things that we can do to uh, prior- help the humans to prioritize what they look at first, Let's get the machines to assist it as much as they can, you know, with, informed by what the humans are doing, but get the machines to help them out. That's really what we're trying to do with all of this. And this move to this multi-cloud, hybrid cloud approach, plus the really evolution of these tools. I mean, you guys are probably doing much more today than you did three years ago, than you did five years ago, right. than you did 10 years ago. So I think that the difference is we started off sort of within our own government-owned environment. And clearly, you know, 
in many cases when we started uh, this, there weren't really the same commercial offerings, so we had to invent things. Right. Uh, over the, the years, we've paid a lot of attention to what industry is inventing, uh, what's coming out of academia. We're incorporating that in and doing hybrids of uh, NSA-invented and uh, externally-invented things. I think the key thing for um, the commercial cloud services is that they're bringing in, they're allowing us to bring in uh, these more mature commercial solutions uh, in those uh, spaces and make them broadly available to the entire intelligence community for a variety of different purposes, right? So we're actually looking at uh, using AI and machine learning to help us interact with our intelligence consumers more efficiently. <laughs> uh, those are almost pure commercial solutions that we're using. That's very different than what we're doing on the mission side. You know, uh, insider threat sorts of things. A lot of people in industry are, are really uh, you know, looking at those problems and those are available as tools. But I think the main thing is, uh, we have uh, an easier on-ramp for the latest you know, commercial capabilities. And uh, in these cloud environments, we can uh, use them for a, a more diverse set of purposes. Uh, and uh, frankly, we can try them out. And if uh, we're not happy with the result, we just stop paying for them. So that adaptation and that experimentation uh, gives a lot of value. And uh, there's a lot of really great experimentation that's going on across you know, business systems and mission systems and uh, interactions with uh, consumers and customers. Uh, it's kind of the, this innovation taking place across the whole spectrum, I think, and across the community. Doug, add to that too, because uh, DIA, you guys may not have been as, as forward-leaning as NSA has been, but I'm sure the AI and the ML is starting to pay big dividends today. Yeah, it is, and that's true across the entire intelligence community. And you know, to, to pick up on some of Greg's points on automation, that's where we've seen it a lot on the data side. Uh, when I first came into this community, I was a server administrator. And so a big part of my job was every morning I'd take the network logs and every evening I'd take the network logs. That's all automated now. Um, and another area uh, that I had gotten into when I first started in this community uh, was also on data analytics, right? So I was a database manager and, and analyzing a lot of that data. Well, I would say 80% of my time was in preparing that data to do the analysis and then 20% of my time was rushing to do the analysis. Say that that ratio is now flipped, where a lot of the automation, the machine learning capabilities, I would even classify AI in this realm of the data preparations, uh, have now really helped us focus our functions and our efforts on what we can exquisitely do in the IC, right? The our unique functions versus a lot of that those manual tasks that we had to do in the past. You also came in probably during a time when there was like a client server and yeah, yeah. this is the heyday of... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and now, now here we are we're yeah. talking cloud, right? Um, when you talk about automation, does that also, and, and I don't want to go down too far down the path, but what does that mean for the workforce as well? Yeah. Is, it, is it giving your analysts more time to do, as you said, the 80-20 flip? Right. It does, but it comes at its you know, risks as well. Uh, the risk of autopilot, right? So we, we're not at the point I see at least from my, my perspective, of where artificial intelligence is replacing critical thinking. Maybe down the road, <laughs> but right, right now, today, we're not there. And I would say that's the biggest risk for us in the IC, especially on our analytic components and the functions that they perform, is remember to preserve that critical thinking. And I can give you a, kind of a humorous example of this. So my, sure, my wife has a, a newer car. She has a 2019 car. And you know, when I back it out of the driveway, I was driving this last weekend, and people are walking behind me or their car's coming, you know, it's, it's signaling with all kinds of buzzers telling me there's something back there. Um, that in a way, is artificial intelligence, right? It, it's helping me uh, identify my surroundings in an automated way. Uh, I have an older car that doesn't have any of those. So uh, the other weekend when I got out, I just backed out of my driveway without looking at all, right? So, I mean, it comes with its consequences to where you kind of get on this autopilot mode and, and sometimes forget to think. <laughs> and it really comes back to a tradecraft uh, perspective, right? We have to remember to think. It's when we get into AI and machine learning, it's sharing our homework with other agencies that rely on that analysis and the data, showing how we got it, what assumptions we had going into it, what our dependencies are, um, making sure that we look at it objectively. So those things are even more important today, I would say, than they have been in the past with the rise of these capabilities. All right, you know I got to ask the question. You didn't hit anyone, did you? I did not. All right, that's good. No. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we had us well worried for a second as you just backed out. Yep. Uh, 
uh, David, jump in here a little bit, and, and I know from uh, Equinix Government Solutions perspective, AI, machine learning, that again is the benefit of, of having this multi-cloud hybrid setup. Is that coming up as you talk to your government clients? It is, and I think when you're looking at the multi-cloud approach, it's it's not, um, I don't say not acceptable, it just, it's not, there's just not one cloud provider, there's just hundreds of cloud providers. So whether you're the government or enterprise, um, you need access to the data and you need to be interconnected with your customers. And so on the agency's perspective, that's other agencies and and, commercial, and government contractors and et cetera. And so I think that hybrid cloud piece, if you think of the, you know, I, I look at it like the network and the cloud is going to be like the iPhone where everything's going to be virtualized. Um, and if you think about the leaps and bounds that technologies uh, on the iPhone have made, uh, you know, having, you know, I need a uh, stopwatch. No, you have one on your iPhone. I need a light. No, I have one on my iPhone. And if you think about the innovation that's happened uh, and that, um, with that technology, and you, you apply the same thing with network, with software-defined networking and cloud and cloud architectures, um, this is a fast-moving train, and again, I think it, 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 for us it stems back into, you know, we're a platform where 2,000 of those providers interconnect uh, larger than anybody uh, in, 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 in our competitive arena by far, both geographically and from the number of, you know, customers we have interconnecting. And I think, you know, that is, again, the underpinning and support of the platform at Equinix that we, you know, we talk about that really I think is the connective tissue into you know hybrid clouds, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, et cetera. I want to jump over to, to one last area of, of when we talk about AI, machine learning, and cloud, it becomes part of the data governance. And, and both Doug and Greg, you guys have talked about the access control pieces, you've talked about the multi-factor authentication, the need to know, but there's still kind of a, a, a one step up of data and governance. Maybe Greg, lead us off with, how's NSA approaching this, this data governance piece as a Again, cloud, AI, machine learning, all, all starts to kind of play into it. Right, so most of these um, big data analytics, the AI, machine learning, they just don't work very well unless you've conditioned your data the right way up front, okay? And, if, and then uh, other sorts of conditioning to really understand, okay, uh, how the data, uh, who has a need to know this data? And other issues that we get into, you know, the signals intelligence businesses, I would contend, is one of the most regulated activities on the planet. Uh, you know, how long we're allowed to hold data according to the laws and policies uh, and procedures uh, uh, matters. Uh, how we need to handle different types of data may vary. So labeling the data so we understand everything uh, there is to know about it and who's allowed to have it, how we handle it, and um, so that it can be effectively utilized in an automated way with, uh, while still staying within all the, uh, the laws, the policies, uh, the need to know constraints that we're trying to do. Uh, it's important to address all of that. So a lot of that has to do with you know, having data standards and labeling standards that cover all of these issues. And it's not good enough for NSA to have a standard. Uh, these are actually intelligence community standards and the intelligence community in the Department of Defense are having conversations, and we're having conversations with our allies about this, so that we we can really interoperate the way we need to at scale and at speed. Uh, so lots of different dimensions, and the chief data officers sort of across the intelligence community and uh, across the federal government and with our allies are all kind of tackling these problems and bringing the rest of us uh, along uh, to help solve problems. Doug, is this idea of conditioning data, you know, kind of, does it ever stop you or does it ever create any kind of obstacle that, that DIA says, okay, we're not ready to use an AI tool or we're not ready to move to the cloud because the data just is too dirty. Well, it, it certainly does in certain contexts. I wouldn't just say generally across the board that's true, um, but in different mission areas, uh, the data changes at a different rate, right? It needs to get validated at different points in time. To Greg's point, we can only retain it for certain periods in, in different scenarios. Within our uh, chief data officer community, they're as tight-knit as our CIO community as well. So just like we've collaborated to transition to the cloud, they're collaborating across our entire community to transition the data. A uh, large part of that uh, that we do within the agencies is the governance of how we <coughs> condition and store and manage that data. And we've made some very significant investments in DIA on what we call a data governance platform. Right. So it's the of the data that we own, what are the laws, the policies, the principles that govern our use of that data? What other data does that relate to? 
uh, when was that last validated, and so forth. So we've spent a lot of time just managing the data, but then the tagging of it and the conditioning, a lot of that is manual, and so there's still much, uh, uh, much of an investment from a human perspective as well. We've hit upon a ton of different topics, cloud, security, AI, machine learning, now a little bit on the data side. Let me, let me ask David to, to maybe take us home now in our conversation. Agencies are in this continuum of cloud, of, of IT modernization. What's the, maybe the big takeaway from your perspective from our conversation today? Yeah, I mean, I think there's just um, looking at the applications and the workloads and, and really trying to digest what's the smartest thing to do and what's the best way to, you know, to achieve the goal that you're trying to do. I think, again, not implying that the government was in a rush to do you know, data center consolidation and or movement into the cloud, but I think what we're seeing is the agencies have a lot of very, very bright people of two of which we have here with us today um, that are really solving a lot of these problems. And you know, we stand a lot to learn from that uh, in industry and that's where that collabor collaboration becomes extremely important. Um, but I think it's just to you know, continue collaboration and, and involvement of, um, it, it is definitely going to be a hybrid cloud world we're going to live in. Um, and it's just, a, you know, it, it's just watching folks like uh, to the left of me that are, um, what they're doing and why and learning from it will be critically important, I think, for industry to, to, to evolve. Are we about 30 seconds for, for both of you total? So I'm going to ask you one big uh, thing people should look out for or take away. Keep it short, Doug. I'll keep it short. I started with it's been an evolution in our learning and thinking, and it'll continue to be that way in the future. All right, and Greg, you get the last word. Okay. So, um, Definitely agree it's going to be a hybrid environment and uh, some of you will hear about uh, a hybrid compute initiative that NSA is launching on. We're trying to get the advantages of uh, a tighter industry partnership, but the performance of on-premise compute, uh, more about that later. All right, all right, plenty to look into. Unfortunately, we are out of time today, so first let me thank my guests. Doug Casa is the Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Defense Intelligence Agency. Greg Smithberger is the Director of Capabilities and Chief Information Officer at the National Security Agency. And David Peed is the Vice President and General Manager of Equinix Government Solutions. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time today. You've been listening to the discussion, A Secure Multi-Cloud Approach in Government, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions on Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Equinix. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, A Secure Multi-Cloud Approach in Government, sponsored by Equinix Government Solutions on Federal News Network.